It looks like we're live. Uh, people can't see you because I haven't moved it around. Um, but it looks like that worked. Uh, hello, folks. If you're watching this after the fact, sit tight. Uh, we've had some technical difficulties. Um, we're getting going. And uh, so check the the notes doc for time codes below uh, to know when we actually get everything going. It uh, looks like we're working. Uh, thank you to DCD David for doing time codes. I saw that you're here. I really appreciate it every week. Um, and let me just uh, pause this. And whew. so I re I just recompiled OBS. Yay! We got some yays in the YouTube chat. Um, and folks can hear you, Jim, but they cannot see you because I'm on the wrong screen. So let's see. All right. Oh, that's... Hello, everybody. Now, now people can see you. Let's see if I can't make this a little bigger. All right. Okay, so let me do housekeeping. I think we're as good as it's going to get. Um, if we need to see stuff later, we can um, tweak things. Um, so let's do housekeeping. All right. So hello, everyone. Uh, you can see me up here. That's right. <laughs> My name is Scott. I work on CircuitPython for Adafruit. Uh, this is a deep dive. Um, oh, if you don't know, CircuitPython is a version of Python designed for microcontrollers, which are little inexpensive uh, computers that are really easy to get going uh, programming uh, generally, but also interacting with the real world. So that's their, what they excel at. Adafruit is an open source hardware and software company based out of New York. They pay for me to work on CircuitPython and they pay for me to do these streams. Uh, so if you want to support me, support them by going to adafruit.com, purchasing some hardware there. Uh, if you want to chat with me and a lot of others, join our, the Adafruit Discord server by going to the URL adafru.it slash discord. Um, we're there all week. That's not just during the streams. That's what makes Discord so awesome. Um, this is a deep dive. They happen every week at 2 p.m. Pacific if things start on time and up like they should. But this week we're getting going about 20 minutes late. So oops. Uh, thank you to Jim for getting up early and then waiting for me to get everything working. Um, normally happens Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific. That's 7 a.m. for the Australians in the crowd. Um, Generally, generally, they're on Fridays. We do occasionally shift it to Thursdays. Uh, we typically go for two hours or more. We should be able to do that this week as well if, uh, if we've got enough to talk about. Um, questions are welcome, although we're going to get started with Jim here uh, since he's been patiently waiting. Uh, but we'll, we'll answer questions as they come up. Um, and then next week should be on Friday as well. I looked at that. And last up, the cat, uh, who you can't see, uh, is epileptic. So just be aware that if I'm like not talking and watching something, that's because I'm uh, making sure he's OK. And there's roofers <laughs> next door. So they're making noise as well. Um, all right. Well, that's housekeeping. Uh, one, we're going again, which is great. Um, so. Who is this on the screen, Jim? Uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit first? Let's start with the basics before we get super in the weeds. All right. Well, hi, Scott, and hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on your um, dive. Um, I work on 
on MicroPython. So CircuitPython, I'm sure everyone here is familiar with CircuitPython and MicroPython, and um, um, I've been involved for, for a few years after uh, coming from an education teaching background in um, with the microbit, and I, I fell in love with MicroPython on the microbit and uh, had a lot of fun uh, getting kids excited about, about computers and, and electronics. Um, awesome. I was wondering how uh, you got into MicroPython. Yeah, it's been... Um, uh, it's been a lot of fun, actually, and and over time got more involved, and, and eventually um, met Damien at PyCon, and mm. now I do this. This is my job. I um I spend spend my um well, well, yeah when I'm when I'm not studying, I I, I work on microprint. Right. I so do everything from. So you're paid by paid by Georgia Robotics, right? So if you right. want to support Jim and Damien, you can buy a PyBoard, PyBoard D. Yeah. Um, that's a great way, uh, and they also do contract work. So if you're looking to put it in a product, um, that's a way to do it. And uh, and GitHub GitHub sponsorship, which is added recently as well, which is which is really awesome. Awesome. So. Yeah. So uh, I highly encourage folks to support them as well. They've done like so much great work, um, and continue to do great work. And and CircuitPython benefits from the MicroPython work. So. Thank you, Jim, for work, working on that. And uh, thanks to Damien and all of the other MicroPython contributors as well. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so I think that is a good introduction. Um, so you reached out. So we had, a, we had a discussion with us, and I said, you know, Damien, Jim, if you ever want to come on our deep dive and talk about something, let me know. You're welcome. Um, so what made you... <laughs> What made you email me and be like, "Hey, I've got this thing that could be fun to talk about"? Um, well, I, I think I'm, I'm I'm very excited about your recent work to um, to merge up to one sixteen to CircuitPython. Uh, mm -hmm. It is a really good opportunity for um, to, to to bring the two the two forks even closer together. Mm -hmm. And in um, the day with much of the code base is, is the same and, and our bugs are your bugs and <laughs> and um uh yeah i thought it sounded interesting i like i like uh learning and and, and teaching and and the certainly i've spent a lot of time banging my head against against micropython and 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 trying to figure out like like any code base you know that's that's large and complicated trying to trying to get my head around how things work right and we had this uh an issue that was reported a, a compilation issue um and those are pretty serious, obviously, because they lead to, to incorrect um, execution of code. And right. um, yeah, I th thought it might might be um, the sort of thing that, that you'd like to dive into. And, and in the process, I'm happy to take this wherever wherever people want. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll full disclosure up front. I have actually already diagnosed and, and fixed this bug um, right. because watching me struggle against this live would have been terrible um but nah uh, i mean people, folks like people that. have questions <laughs> if people have questions um so we do we we, we do like. actually have a, a tangential question from a couple folks what is that yeah. black box with the blinky lights on the wall what is the black box with the blinky lights under the bookshelf um that yeah. one yeah that one uh that is my cpu um so when it when i was teaching I used to want to teach how how computers worked and demystify electronics and and you can you can start with AND gates and you can 
finish with MicroPython, but there's a big, there's this big jump in between. Like, how does logic happen and, and all right. that? Right, right. And so I used to teach a little course on on like four bit microcontrollers that you could build out of and an, you know, basically seventy four hundred series logic. Ah, and it wasn't quite enough. Um, and then I discovered um, my two favorite websites on the internet. One is Megaprocessor, which is the guy that built um, out of out of TTL transistors, like, like, like literally. Um, sorry, out of um, PJT transistors. Hmm. An entire CPU. If if you haven't seen it, megaprocessor.net, I think is the website. Okay. Um, megaprocessor.com. And there's this there's this great line in it because you can imagine it's enormous. And it's like at this point, the battle between my living room and the megaprocessor begins to escalate. <laughs> um, <laughs> so obviously too big. But and then at the other end of the spectrum, there's there's the uh, the Monster Six Five Hundred Two, um, which is somebody um, built a Six Five Hundred Two processor out of out of service mount. Fets. And the cool thing that both of these projects have in common is that every single gate has an LED on it. Ah. And you can watch, you can single step the processor and watch every single gate change state. Right. Um, and so that's what that is. Um, except rather than being out of individual MOSFETs, it's um, um, small logic units. So like one logic unit is um, a, a register. So like, you know, eight flip flops or whatever. Okay. And um, anyway, topic for another. I was gonna, I was gonna say so. Uh, two questions. I have follow ups. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't run microbrethren. <laughs> that was the first one. The second one was uh, how long does it take to compile MicroPython? <laughs> um, so right now it's running. I, I, I leave it on all the time because I, 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 I it, it, it's one of those projects that like gives me a huge amount of satisfaction. That yeah, it's just done. I, I'm really happy with it. Right. And it sits there in the background computing prime numbers. Ah. And, um, I don't know, it's a um, hundred and, I can't really quite see from here, but it's, um, uh, um, what is that? Um, <laughs> um the, the clock speed is, is artificially um, is artificially really low, and so it's. Um, right. I think it's on 157 at the moment. And, I see. Um, but yeah, you can, you can speed it up. Because now it's scrolling through the phone numbers. But anyway. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But what it can do is drive um, dot stars. So it's got a, it's got a, it's got memory mapped I/O and a, and 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 an after Bitbang spy. So huh. um, that's quite fun. Anyway, so awesome. time. <laughs> nah, this is perfect time. Um, okay, I, and cr props to Mister Who Thirty and Mark Olson who asked that question. I I usually do say hi to folks who are in the chat, but you know we've been trying to get things going. Um, all right, so. Uh, so let me let 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 me get some windows arranged so that we can have on the desktop so we can follow along. Um, so if folks have questions, feel free to ask them. Um, I'm going to create a new scene here and actually just um, actually call it desktop with guest two. So I need to add 
So I know you're seeing a black screen. Don't freak out. <laughs> um, I will add me. And I will add my desktop. Window capture. Screen capture. There, now we can see Jim. So this is going to be a bit of a challenge. That I only had so much screen space. Oh, you know what? We can put Jim beneath what we're looking at. But then I can do window capture on I want to, what I'm trying to do is get it so that folks can see both of us and my desktop. I think that would be ideal. As, because I assume we're going to want to, like, talk about the code that we're looking at. Yeah. So, let me just. Should I be sharing my screen? Or... Uh, I think I'll do it. I don't want to. <laughs> I already, already had too much technical difficulties here um so i think you i think you'll have to show me what you want uh, okay have you got a um, okay uh have you got the um you've you've, you've got the unix port set up and ready to go uh no i do not should I have that? Mm, yeah, we'll, we'll need the Unix port. Um, oh, can we give it a go and see how it works? Otherwise, otherwise, we can certainly go. Uh, you could try screen sharing. We could set that up if you'd like to drive. People are putting up with us. How does that look? Uh, I'm going to have to change the clip. Oh, you know, that might be... How's that, folks? Is that too small? You might want to make things bigger. This actually saves me. <laughs> um, yeah, and that we can only see... Oh, yeah, that's your terminal. Okay. Let me send myself to the background. All right, can folks see Jim's screen? Enhance. Or enhance. Can't see the file list. I don't worry about the file list, that's fine. It's just a useful space. <laughs> All right, I think that's as good as we're gonna get. Does the drop I'm... saw run microfinance? <laughs> no, but the laser kind of runs Linux. So. <laughs> um, All right, take us away, Jim. Okay, cool. Oh. So this was based on a bug that was reported um, about a week or so ago, and and this is this is the, exactly the the repo that was given to us. 
Um, and I guess what it's doing is it's it's, it's turning a, a single integer into um, four bytes um, and pulling out individual bits in that in that byte in that in that integer to to set the the four um, the four bytes. And so I should be able to run this on a um, solid pi board plugged in. Seven five, um, and as to be expected, um, the four bytes I get a a two fifty five zero zero zero, because because the input was zero, so these three conditions should be should be zero. So no surprises there. That's that's good. So MicroPython has this feature, um, the Python as well, um, uh, Python dot native, and what this does is it tells the compiler running on the board. Other than generating bytecode for this function, generate native code for whatever the whatever the architecture is, which in this case is ARM uh, thumb. And it's supposed to be you just don't even have to think about it. You just turn it on and everything is the same. Right. The native the, the native decorator just just compiles it to native code and, and no features are missing. Um, uh, there is a Viper emitter, which we can talk about later, but um, the uh, native, and the only reason you would not native everything, and and in fact, in the very early days of MicroPython, before before it was released publicly, uh, Damien's goal he told me was that everything would always use the native emitter um, for performance. So so MicroPython wouldn't have a virtual machine; hmm. it would just generate native code for for everything. The problem you have is that native code is is uses a lot more because MicroPython has to execute its code from RAM, so it compiles, generates right. the, the the in RAM. It takes up a lot more RAM for the same functionality, ah. so this the same function would be a lot bigger in so, native code. So could you? So you sorry, I'm gonna pause. Uh, could you make your terminal bigger? Yeah, of course. Um, your text bigger there. Folks are having a little trouble seeing that. That looks better. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I can see it better than other people too. Um, okay, so so that's interesting. So you're so I was gonna ask you like, what is the reason that people would use native? the native emitter yeah um, entirely performance if you if you can afford the ram for a couple of small functions mm -hmm. and the ram the ram overhead's about double i think from memory and it varies a little bit depending on the function okay and and the reason the reason for this extra overhead is that in micropython um like 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 cpython in, in bytecode you can express quite a lot in one opcode so um you know an add on the top two things on the stack or whatever, and, and um, whereas expressing that in in native code, you have to actually emit any potential checks, any um, uh, literally everything the CPU has to do to implement that one Python high-level instruction has to be generated as you know potentially many many bytes of, of machine code, and um, you know you think about something really simple in Python like A plus B. You've got to figure out the type of A. You've got to figure out the type of, well, sort of. Um, you've got to figure out which which um, which method to call on them and things like that. And and, 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 and the details here are a bit complicated. And there's a lot of optimizations. But um, you know, when your when your competition is a one byte upcode, it's, it's pretty tough. So <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And so so a long time ago, MicroPython switched to to generating bytecode by default. Okay. And the um, you move the cost into Flash because all of the code for the VM is is in Flash, which you generally have more of. Right. And um, you put a lot more, lot less in RAM. Right. And this is the benefit of freezing your your Python code 
is because when you freeze it, the, the, the code goes in, in Flash as well. So if you're freezing, it's worth considering using native um, because, because then you get mm. a big performance boost. Yeah. Hmm. So um, I, I just wanted to point out for those folks who are like not classically trained computer science folks is like this is a classic trade-off. This is a classic yeah. trade-off of, of space versus execution speed. Um, and so that that's not surprising that's to not me surprising. at all. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's um, a surprisingly large amount of things like that in MicroPython, and <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true in any software project, but <laughs> um, it's, it's always finding the right point in, in trade-off space and... and Scott and I have talked about this a lot before, but there's lots of features that um, we would love to we would love to provide more knobs to the user to to decide mm -hmm. um, where that where, where what their code does. But we have to maintain Python compatibility, you know. Right. Things like the things like the native decorator obviously are um, you know about as close as you can get to um, keeping Python syntax while still giving a few hints to the compiler. One thing that I did do pretty early on when I was working uh, in MicroPython is I really pushed Damien to require a MicroPython import um, yeah. for stuff like this, uh, which I think you can do. I think you could say import MicroPython <laughs> yeah. and then it will work. Um, but that was right, something yes. that I was uh, a little nitpicky on. And, and the reason that I was nitpicky on that for for folks is that um, if you took this code without the import for MicroPython and tried to run it in CPython, uh, you would get an error because MicroPython was not defined. Um, yeah, exactly. And you could just write you could write MicroPython.py that had def micro uh, def, uh, def native. Um, whatever the arguments are, yeah. Returns returns f whatever. And and then if you had that in the in your path or whatever, then 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 that this would just run on CPython as well. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and, and where we see that most is like if folks have ever seen the const thing in um, in CircuitPython or MicroPython code, like, const is the same idea as that. Like MicroPython knows to just use it on its own when it sees it, but um, we kind of enforce in CircuitPython libraries that you need to say like from MicroPython import const, uh, and that allows us to have a const thing in Blinka that uh, just passes the value through just like... Uh, Jim did for native as well. And so, for people who are interested, um, this this example code wouldn't get any benefit from this. But if I had a program that I had some some variables I'm using lots of places, um, I can I can do these two different versions of the const keyword with and without the, the leading underscore. And what that means is that anywhere I use these variables a and b, I'm not really using it's not really a global variable. I'm not having to do a lookup into the global stick. It literally is as if I typed 20, um, like I have with these other literals. And then the B, has the, the underscore version, has this extra thing where um, it no longer even becomes part of, as well as avoiding being a global lookup when I use it here, it also doesn't even add it to global, so I can't even use it from outside the module. So it right. literally has zero RAM cost at, at all. So Right, and that, that's what we found is like we, t we tend to only use const for the things that are... Um... Because I think people don't always realize that there's a RAM cost to variable names. Like the variable names yeah. are stored in RAM uh, for all this stuff. Uh, only only global only global variables. And actually, that's something we're going to talk about. Um, for, because local variables, the variable names don't exist. Ah, okay. Um, only 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 the globals. Right. Okay. So 
what the native decorator is. So, that, so for those new to Python, the at symbol uh, before a function is called a decorator. And functionally, the way it works is that that thing gets called with the function passed to it, right? Um, if you were thinking of classic CPython. Now, MicroPython is playing tricks here when it sees that. Uh, but that's generally like why it's valid Python. Um, so the native emitter, native emitter emits thumb code. Uh, it's larger RAM. It takes more RAM uh, than the VM bytecode, but it runs faster. Um, do we do much optimization with that thumb code? Because I had somebody say like, oh, that's like GCC or something. I was like, well, it's it's not quite a compiler. <laughs> yeah. um, it's it's way, way, way faster because you you because obviously the VM has these huge costs in like. It's, the VM is just a, a whole loop with a bunch of if statements and all these branches and stuff like that. Right. Um, so it is it is really fast because it, it, it linearizes the code, I guess. But but um, no, there's there's very little optimizations. But I guess that's a good time to talk about. So we also have this thing called Viper. Well, wait. We have a, we have a we have a question uh, here. Let's keep up with. Yeah, sure. So the question is, what's thumb code? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> I'm probably gonna mess this up, but. Um, so we're talking about generating native code for the for the target architecture, and right. on 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 our PCs on on x86, um, that would be x86 um, machine code, um, right. and or or more recently um, 64. On ARM, um, historically ARM has two two sort of similar instruction sets, um, ARM and Thumb, and Thumb is what we run on. Cortex series um, microcontrollers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not, I, I'll, I'll, I will not even attempt to go into the, the distinction on those. But when I say <laughs> thumb, then um, then thumb is 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 the name for for native code on. Um... Yeah. So uh, I want to tie in two things here. I, I, so thumb is an instruction set architecture, uh, which is usually shortened to ISA, and. Yeah. Um, the way that I think about it for folks who, who don't quite understand what this is, is it's it's really the API between software and the CPU. So it's the, what are the bits that the CPU load to decide how to execute? Um, that's kind of what I think of as the ISA. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to tie to is like, uh, folks have probably heard of RISC-V. Um, and people say, do you support RISC-V? Do you support RISC-V? And like, RISC-V itself, at its core, is just the definition of what the ISA is. It has no bearing on like the actual chip, like the the actual CPU, like a Cortex M0, for example, right? Like uh, the ISA is like this API that anybody can implement, whether it's open source or not open source. Um, and then the compilers then convert like human readable C code or whatever code down to that like machine level instruction sets. Um, so I just wanted to take that opportunity to talk because I, I, I hear about risk five stuff all the time and like, uh, we support risk five, but like risk five is not the thing that's hard for us to support. It's like all of the peripherals that <laughs> end up yeah. in a chip that has a risk five CPU. Um, it's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I'd just point that out since we're talking about thumb and one characteristic about thumb and, and risk five has an extension for this too is, uh, code size so like when you take uh, some sample c code how big is the data that uh, they lack actual instructions are um and thumb two is like 
is the second revision of Thumb, and it's it has a lot of 16-bit instructions, which means that it like is much smaller generally. Um, and you can find comparisons about like the uh, compressed instruction set for RISC-V and see how like how different um, code size matters between those two things. Um, um, yeah, and it's it's funny because like. R in ARM originally was RISC as well, and RISC here is the reduced instruction set computer or whatever it is. And um, but these days, when you look at ARM and and mm -hmm. oh, look at ARM and things, it's not it's not really very reduced anymore. Right. <laughs> I mean, we talked about the CPU on the wall earlier. That that has, I think, I don't know, it's like ten instructions or something like that. But nowadays on ARM, you can do things like add this with a dereference and an offset, and because ARM's got this barrel shifter that can do all these fancy calculations inside an instruction. And yeah, it all gets pretty complicated. Right. But, uh, I will link after this. There's a. There's actually. If anyone's interested in intro to, to Thumb, um, uh, Raymond Chen on the old new thing blog has just recently done a like 25 part series on oh, Thumb, wow. and it, it's 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 amazing as everything as everything huh. he writes is. I should read um, do that. And I I, I also want to. So risk is reduced instruction set, and that the corollary is um, yeah C. <laughs> Complex, is it complex yeah. or? Yeah. So x86 is generally known as a CISC, like not reduced. And the idea, like as Jim started talking about, as like um, complex or instruction sets, like have these very long instructions that can do a lot all at once potentially. Um, but I think the world's going towards um, reduced instruction set stuff and. If you read about the design of the like M1, the the ARM chip in the M1, one thing that they really do a lot is like if you have fixed length instructions, it means that you can look ahead really really far into like the things that you're going to uh, potentially do in the future. And the advantage of that is like if you get into computer design, which we're in these weeds, which is great. That's what DDIs are for. Um, <laughs> is that the challenge with any CPU is generally that your memory is a lot, lot slower. Um, so it's really beneficial for chips like the M1, where they can look. I think it's like 128 instructions ahead or something, and they can initiate all of the RAM lookups that may may need to happen, so that just in case they need that data, it's closer and it's already on its way. Um, yeah. Versus like. Versus the like x86 model where they can't necessarily look that far into the future because they don't exactly know where their instructions are. Yeah, bigger um, and bigger hacks to try and figure out what the dependencies are and stuff like that. Yeah, so, so when people talk about a CPU having deep pipelining, that's what they're talking about. It's that the pipeline is really long because they can be right. Um, well, sort of. It's no, there's a lot of concepts here. And if and um, yeah, but we're in the weeds because uh, another related <laughs> I thing. I found my home. This is amazing. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, that's what people come for. Uh, the the other the other thing to if if folks have heard about the security issues in um, CPU designs, it has to do with this um, speculative stuff that the CPU is doing. So the idea that you can go into a branch of code and it will say like, oh, you know, I might need this memory in the future, therefore I'm going to go fetch it. But then like you didn't actually need it because you weren't allowed to fetch it. But then if you can fetch it in another way, you can see that like it was cached. So um, there's a whole like, yeah, meltdown. There's there's all these sorts of uh, CPU vulnerabilities that are about like things that CPUs do ahead of time just in case they might need to do it. And then making sure that like 
that doesn't impact like code going forwards uh, is a huge security thing that a lot of CPUs have really been having to deal with, um, which is interesting, but uh, not something that we need to deal with in, in uh, MicroPython land. Um, yeah, but, uh, so the, so there are two there are two things I the, the, the thing that are worth bringing up there though is that um, uh, you have hit on one of my secret hidden agendas for this deep dive, which is that it would be really cool one day to get a native emitter for Risk Five for MicroPython, mm -hmm. and so in making awareness of how the native emitter works, I hope to to somebody might get excited and and, and we'll we will have a little, little look at how at how you write a native emitter for. For MicroPython and so RISC-V support would be really cool, and nice. Um, there is one RISC-V chip that that we're going to see. A little, uh, MicroPython effectively is already on the way to supporting, which is and 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 CircuitPython do I understand is is the ESP32S. Uh, is it the C C3? I think C3, it's the yeah. yeah, which is which is at its core um, RISC-V rather than the extensor of the of the previous generation. So, right. Um, and like like you say, it's about supporting the, the peripherals, and so the IDF <laughs> takes care of that for us. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, the main thing for us is that it doesn't have native USB, so we have to yeah, get yeah. we would have to get BLE support through the IDF, and then we would be able to do those as BLE only ports, which yeah. is something that we do want to do. But we're we're in the weeds of BLE right now, as folks who've watched the stream <laughs> know. Um, but I, I sympathize with this guy. That's what I'm doing on on, on the other side as well. So. Yeah. Well, so, well, some of the some of the weeds that we're in actually now though is like I talked to you about this file transfer protocol for BLE, yeah. and uh, we actually have the challenge now is it's not so much the device side. Like there's bugs on the device, but the main challenge for us right now that we're in is actually having apps and uh, code that support it on the host side. Um, yeah, so yeah. that's really like where we're trying to push right now is like I was doing web Bluetooth stuff and I was very pleased that like this protocol does not use L2 cap stuff because like that's yeah, not yeah. available through web Bluetooth. Um, so I think I think we're on the right track with this file transfer protocol stuff over BLE, but like there's just we just don't have the apps right now uh, to make it worthwhile and and a good experience so that's kind of where we're pushing right now and then like we'll cycle back to the device side once we can actually like get people testing it and finding the issues that we have yeah yeah um i'm going to resist the temptation to 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 follow that side quest and talk about l2 cap channels <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i did hear from a couple of the chrome people so uh i'm looking forward to the chrome web bluetooth support uh improving Okay, and uh, okay. hopefully actually getting them using CircuitPython to test with, which would be amazing. Uh, because they're working on s supporting secure characteristics in Chrome OS and Windows, which they don't do currently. Um, but that I've set, a, set CircuitPython up to use. Uh, because imagine you have a room full of people and like blah, blah, blah. So. Um, hey. Uh. James, <laughs> you keep tempting me with with Bluetooth side quests. But... <laughs> okay, let's let's pop the stack. Let's pop um, the stack yeah, back gonna, to this. We we'll do some stack popping later as well. Cool. Um, okay, so the thrilling conclusion is that I had microphone.native, and I expect it to be exactly the same based on everything I said before. But unfortunately, it isn't, and we see this second byte is two fifty five, which is clearly wrong because um, you passed in a zero. I passed in a zero. Zero and one is zero. I should hit the else zero case. Right. 
and that's a worry. Um, <laughs> and so in this case, we're running on so NPR is MP this is MP Remote. It's a new tool for MicroPython. One fifteen, um, right? It was released uh, with yeah. one fifteen or one sixteen is out. One sixteen. Yeah. What? Yeah. So NPR is is um, I don't, do you, what's your equivalent? Um, it lets you just it loads a file into RAM um, without touching the file system and then executes mm-hmm. the, the the file out of RAM. Um, it um, it also lets you do this quite neat thing, which is you can go NPR mount home slash mpy. And now I'm on the REPL on the, the device. If I go, um, and I can go import B7523, um, and what it's actually done is made my host PC's home slash MPI directory the file system, like it's mounted into the VFS on the port. Right. So um, this, is, this is really neat for this sort of debugging because if I, reboot, if I just re- reboot the software reset the board, Mm-hmm. I could I could have edited this file and and um, so I change that to a one. But um, B seven five two three. Um, well, that's actually the right answer now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, they did. Um, right. Cool. So this is kind of I. So if I had to summarize what the advantage of this is, is that this is kind of the circuit python workflow but it's over serial only so if you're using like an esp32 for example which we don't support in circuit python at all like you can have this standard workflow that has file system stuff uh across devices even if they don't have native usb exactly yeah um and you and with very precise control about when the reboots happen and stuff like that but um and and no contention on system access because there is only one file system it's the host file system um hmm. interesting so you're like completely losing access to the native one i mean i mean it's still there um um but i mean i, I haven't disabled it but um but yeah yeah i mean because this is an stm32 bot it has that but um right. but yeah we almost we almost never use that um interesting um okay so it's failing on do we want to talk about viper quickly do whatever you like. We got tons of time. <laughs> okay. I All mean, right. we started so twenty other... minutes late. We've yeah. got at least an hour. So. Um, so we've also got Viper. Okay. Viper is also failing here. It's giving the wrong output. Okay. And so what Viper does is it says, first of all, does, does the native emitter do any optimization? And mm-hmm. it doesn't. It, it just writes the native code that would execute the same thing that, that the VM would have done. What Viper does instead is say, well, I know a little bit about this code. For example, I know that packed is an integer. And so when I call, say, for example, and or add or um, any operations that involve integers, don't go through the normal Python um, implement, you know, the dunder dunder, um, um, dunder add or whatever. So it is an integer, emit the code as if it were that and not really a Python object. And this enables a ton of optimizations if your code is doing a bunch of number crunching. Hmm. And um, it can be hard to get right because you have to tell the compiler exactly what all the types are. Right. And, and, you know, it can only go so far with its inference and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it falls back to native. So, like, if you do regular object equal to sort of things. Hmm. But when it knows what the types are based on the, the, the argument annotations, it can be really, really fast. You know, so nice. you, you, know you might get a, yeah, another, another 2x performance boost from, from Viper. 
I didn't even realize. Um, okay, so it, Viper is actually like super native. Like it's yeah, better yeah. than regular native. I didn't even realize yeah. we had any sort of logic in MicroPython for based on type hints. I didn't. I didn't only, know that's that. the only that's the only place the native emitter yeah okay but um, but we can put type hints basically everywhere and we just ignore them otherwise right um <laughs> i've forgotten definitely in function arguments okay. um and i can't remember what the state of type hints everywhere else is i think there's i think there's okay. possibly an outstanding pr to do that but okay. um again it's in that case it's in on complicated one it's, it's extra code size for a feature that does nothing but on the other hand, it lets you run unmodified Python code, so it is a good right. feature. Which is what, which is where my interest comes from. Is like, I I think the killer feature of type hints is actually just uh, IDE help. Like, actually, it's just like making editors smarter about what things are. Yeah. Um, so if we could have like t type designations in our libraries, like that would be really beneficial. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So be um, before you get going in, M Kazer has a question for you. Yeah, yeah, I just saw that. Um, uh, this is about the const. Let me, yeah, let me read it uh, in case we have. Sometimes we have folks that are only listening and not watching, so sure. uh, I'll read it off. It says, "If you have repeating numbers like two fifty fives and zeros, is it a bad idea to make them consts? Are they already treated like consts internally?" Yeah. So the question is basically, if I'm, if I, in this code on the screen, is there any benefit to me doing um, um, all ones? equals const 255 and then changing these 255s and the answer is no because what const is doing is actually injecting the 255s into into it's as if it's as if i had written wherever i use all ones it's as, it's as if i had written 255 right and so why this is important is if instead what i had done is um i had a variable that wasn't const and done this um, the generated code for this would have to look up all ones in the global stick. And so there's a few steps here. You've got to, you've got to load a Qstra, so the name for the name of this variable. You've got to look it up and do a, do a, do a dictionary lookup and, and then put it on the stack and stuff like that. So that can be really slow. Right. Whereas if I, if I write 255, the generated bytecode literally has load fast 255, mm -hmm. um, which pushes, which all it does is, a, is like one or two byte instruction to push the value. 255 wants two byte instructions to push the value 255 directly onto the stack. And so const is just like if you're a C programmer, const is like hash define in, in C. It's a, it's, a, it's a substitution in the code, like a literal substitution. Right. right. If you don't have the question. underscore in front of the name, though, you will pay a, byte, a RAM price for the name itself. Yeah, we still put it in the global stick. So yeah, what you can do is you can write if you without the screen, write all ones. You can use that in your code, um, but you could still, you know, you could import this file and still go that file to all ones. So it kind of gives you a, a hybrid of, of both, um, mm -hmm. which can be which can be useful. Cool. Um, so we have a native decorator on this function. It does the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> so the first thing I always do at this point is I. Um, so is, I, is there a way to disassemble disassemble yeah, the native output? Exactly, exactly, and that's where this right. that's where this this, uh, this this next fork we're going to take, and depending on which way this fork goes, um, <laughs> it, uh, it it will greatly change the uh, the, 
the outcome of your day. Um, so <laughs> well, so, it's just uh, about I, weekend for me. So <laughs> <laughs> um, fortunately, I know where this goes. So um, the um, so on on MicroPython. Um, sorry, I'm not not so as familiar with CircuitPython, but um, on MicroPython we have a port that runs on on Linux. Yeah, the Unix port, and it yeah. effectively is a bit like a, a C Python replacement. Um, we so and... we 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 still maintain the Unix port because we get all of your really good tests. Yeah, of course, very important for running. So tests. that's the that's the one that we do not get rid of. Okay, so um, sorry, I should have built this before, but um, <laughs> you called Blaze. <laughs> so for folks who don't know, Blaze is like the internal Google name for making stuff. <laughs> Jim is uh, Jim and I are both former Googlers, so I worked there for a long time, and it burned into my muscle memory that that's how I build things. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and what what else to call my alias for in parallel? The um, the, uh, yeah. the, open, the open source version is called Basil for those who yeah. followed along. It, and a Google running a Blaze is like make dash j six thousand, so it's like right. it's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> okay, so now I have a MicroPython binary for Unix. Um, okay. And now I can run that with that same um, E7, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then we hope, yes, same failure. <laughs> Yay. So now I don't have to debug it on the board. And, right. and if the failure had only been on the board, then I'd know there's a problem specific to the ARM emitter. Okay. Whereas this tells me this problem is, 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 is common to all of them. Well, at least, at least x86 and x 64 and ARM. But more importantly, I can just debug GDB natively rather than wiring up right. um, an ST link or, or whatever. So um, Doctor is asking the dash J is how many threads you're using to build, right? Yeah, it's exactly, it's like yeah. the number of concurrent things that make has to do that it will do at the same time. Yeah, and generally and you days, want it per thread. Yeah, these days when you have yeah uh, nice modern fancy CPUs, um, it will literally make your build sixteen times faster. Yeah. Um, I, if anyone knows, if there's an environment variable that you can set that just makes that the default, um, then um, I would love to know that. I know Ninja does it by default. Yeah. Ninja, Ninja yeah. figures it out. Um, and if you use dash J on its own, I think it, it, it makes a sensible guess. Hmm. Um, okay. So this is a, as a useful thing. Let's turn off. Let's just confirm that it does the right thing without native, which would be good to know, which it, which it does. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing the Unix port does that's really quite neat is you can run the verbose flag, and I think it's dash VVV, <laughs> and it, it tells you what it, what it, uh, you asked about, you know, disassembly and stuff like that, uh, and, yes. and, and, and it shows what's going on. So okay. I'll run through this quickly because it's, understanding this is pretty important first to understanding how the native emitter is going to work. And so um, we've run the compilation on file right. and um, there are kind of two bit, there are two functions here really which is one is there's the, the module itself because at the end of the day running a Python file is running all the lines in that file right and then each each function itself is then another obviously another function and so what we're seeing here is a code block for the module um, and this is the generated bytecode um, so this is the bytecode that tells it how to import MicroPython and run print unpack zero. Mm -hmm. And 
there's a lot of extra, there's a little bit of a preamble here. So, so that might seem like a lot of bytecode, but there's a, there's a preamble here, which is like defining the module and, and all that sort of stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so this is MicroPython bytecode, um, which is different to CPython's bytecode, what, you, what, what it would store in a PYC file, but has a lot of, has a few things that are similar, but it's just a little bit uh, more optimized for space rather than um, other things. Mm -hmm. uh, and MicroPython's virtual machine is is stack-based. Stack um, and uh, actually, we don't see a lot of... Oh, yeah, we see, do, do see some stack stuff here. So um, we do an port of the name MicroPython, um, and then we assign that to the global variable called MicroPython. So these in, this, this store name is a, is a set of a global variable. Right. Um, we're going to make a function that, that, that is a pointer that we're going to reference later. Hmm. Um, we are going to push the name, um, we're going to, sorry, store the name un, unpack. So unpack these two lines here are make a function, push the result on the stack, and then store the current top of the stack into a global variable named right. unpack. Right. And if we looked at the disassembly, the actual bytes here, what this would be would be it would be the opcode for store name followed by the Qstra ID, so the, the intern string ID of, of the string unpack, which would be built into our. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, let's not go down that, that, those weeds. But, but <laughs> the point I want to make here is that the bytecode doesn't store the, the literal bytes U N P A C K. It actually right. puts that into a table of, of, of unique strings, and then we just reference each string by its, by its ID. So it'll be a right. two byte. ID instead. Right. Um, then we load from globals um, the name print. So we look up um, print in, in globals. So this is kind of equivalent to a dictionary lookup, um, but specifically in globals, um, because we're going to do a print statement. And then we load the name unpack. And then we load a const small int zero. Um, so that's the zero. So that's push, push the literal value zero onto the stack. And right. this kind of ties into what we talked about before. Because it was a literal zero, that the value is encoded into the opcode. Mm -hmm. um, and then we call um, the function um, the top of the stack with, with, with um, this many arguments. So we expect the top of the stack to have a function and one argument, right. which we then execute. And then we call the function that's now on the top of the stack, which was print that we loaded earlier. It has one argument, which was the result of this previous one. Um, we don't care about the result of print because we're not doing anything with it. Print, print, print's returning on in this case, but, but we do nothing. And then the module itself return is a function. It returns none. Um, so push none, turn the top of the stack. So uh, one question is, how wide is the stack? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. We are going to talk about that later. <laughs> OK. Um, um, yeah, there, there, are two, there are two ways of the stack being implemented, right? There's like intermingled in the C stack and what we've turned on, which is we've, we have the Pi stack enabled now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about that too. Perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's actually three, there's three stacks that we're going to have to think about. Um, <laughs> to, to this, so. um, and then this is our, this is our, um, our actual function the the unpack function and it, um, it's, it's the bytes. Um, function from from built-ins from from global, mm -hmm. um, load 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 load, and now we see this load fast and load fast is a load of a of a um, uh, a, a local variable. So um, 
So I said that we throw away the names of all the locals and the locals right. just become, um, um, there are, we figure out how many local variables we need and there are just N of them in the, in the function. And so this is the zeroth one. Um, okay. and it, you know, it's up to, it's had to generate a few temporary ones, but we see, you know, we load a one and we end it. So it's so load fast zero in this case will be the packed argument to this function. Okay. And, um, and so your locals are effectively your function arguments and any local variables you create after that point. So we've, we've pushed um, the zeroth argument onto the stack. We've pushed one onto the stack and mm -hmm. then we call the and function. Yep. And so bin the binary op instruction says um, execute, execute a binary op. And uh, I guess this is a good time to look at it as any um, runtime.c mp binary op. And so the binary op code is um, is telling the VM call MP binary op mm -hmm. with the left hand side and the right hand side and in this case the left hand side will be the top and the, the top two values in the stack which will be a zero local variable and the, so the zeroth local variable and one the literal right and so and then the and is is encoded as a as an ID so you know and might be the ID three for binary op three or whatever. I don't, I don't know what it is. Is that the is that what three. the twenty four is? Uh, I, it could be twenty four <laughs> is the MP binary op um, and or whatever. Right? It, it quite quite probable. Um, I, I I could check that. Um, uh, it's probably on the int. Yeah, I, it it almost certainly is. But um, so b for those. Uh, MP binary opt is usually also implemented on the, like a per object basis. Um, so you can have like different, different things happen depending on like what your left hand side is. Um, just might actually be where you're going as in object int. Would be my guess. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, so MP binary opt then has to do all the logic of Python, which is, um, what is the op? What are the types? Um, and so there'll be a, spe there's a special case here, which is that if both of these types are integers, mm. um, then then we don't need to call, we don't need to do anything special for integers. Um, we can literally call, you know, you can actually see the binary, the bitwise operators here doing right. doing that thing. Right. Um, but if they're not that, then you'll see at the bottom. We need to then go and find out what this type, what the types are. Of the, so the left hand side has a type. That type might define its own binary op right. and. It might do so because it's a built-in type, or it might do so because um, type literally defines under under and, <laughs> for example. And and this would if if the type were instance type, then types then instant types binary op knows to look at the Python code and figure out if it has an and. Right. Right. Um, and and this ties into the native emitter because the the native emitter doesn't know anything about any of this. All it does is knows how to emit machine code. That can call this same binary op function. Right. Um, that's where Viper comes in. Is that Viper says, but if the types were integers, <laughs> then I will emit machine code for integers. I um, see. Um, so this is a pretty nasty little function to, to look at the disassembly for because you know it's got a couple of nested expressions and a bit repeated. Right. But probably the most useful thing that we can do here is to reduce the the error down to the simplest possible thing. So like, for example, mm -hmm. does it happen if we get rid of all these extra bits? Right. So um, an, I, a question from doctor is, uh, what is an emitter? And yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so an emitter, 
uh, the stages go, you, you take the input source and you, you lex it to turn it into a series of, of tokens. So, you know, this becomes print, open paren, uh, so identifier, open paren, identifier, open paren, integer. Um, that goes into the parser that builds a structure out of that. So, you know, first argument to print is this expression and this expression is, you know. And then once you've got the, the parse tree, this is takes the parse tree. And th that's and the stage in. that will tell you whether you have a syntax error. Exactly. So Lex, Lexa will be like, I can't even figure out, you know, if I, if I, the, the Lexa would have an error, for example, if you didn't terminate a string or, or whatever. Right. Um, or if you um, had like completely invalid character. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example of that. But um, <laughs> the, uh, I think I'm pretty sure like if I write like triple and like that many ampersands, the Lexa would fail because it wouldn't know what um, token that that should be, for example. Right. Um, the parser would say, um, no, wait. Um, I was about to say trailing comma, but uh, is that a valid Python? I can't remember. Oh, I but think that it would is. be invalid. That's, that's an invalid right. expression in Python. Right. And so the parser would be like, there's no right-hand side to this to this plus operator. Right. And then once you've got a parse tree, you walk the tree and you emit you emit code for the parse tree. Mm -hmm. And and that's where you either emit the bytecode. And so the, the example we've been looking at here is is emitting the, the, the Python bytecode for these functions. Right. But we also have the, these two other options, which is we can emit native code or we can emit Viper code. And so, so the native and Viper stuff does not kind of go through the Python bytecode first. It goes straight no, from the no, parse tree straight out. That's right. But the relationship between the Python bytecode and the API between the parser and the emitter is fairly close. It's not not quite the same, but but, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of similarities, and so. Um, mm -hmm. Um, and uh, well, I mean, we should look, have to take a look at that. So, um, um, VC. So this is the bytecode emitter, emit vc.c. And so, for example, um, uh, emit vc binary op. So what this means is the parser has found a place where it needs a binary op to happen. Right. And so it will write out the bytecode for binary op multi with this particular binary op. And so actually we can look up if that 24 was, um, I'm guessing that, um, that's, is that place, oh, that's in place and, uh, and do you reckon, do you reckon that's nine plus 13, 21 plus three? Yep, that's um, 24. So right. yeah, that was that from earlier. Right, right. And, um, and yeah, and so then we call emit right, um, so this, the parser has called emit vc binary op. Um, and so in the problem is, is that this happens through some preprocessor stuff that the, 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 there's, there's no call to this because what's really happening is par uh, is compile.c. So compile is the thing that takes the parse tree and calls the emitter. Mm -hmm. And um, so there, for example, is a in place add the emit arg is a processor macro that will ultimately call um, binary output um, like that. Yeah. And what it comes down to is it'll figure out what the current emitter is, but emit arg will figure out what the emitter is right. and call the correct method on the current emitter, which right. will end up here. And so there'll be an equivalent in emit, emit native. There'll be emit, um, emit native binary. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and 
what this is going to do is um I'll, I'll skip this if statement i'll come back to that um is it's a lot longer <laughs> is this case this is the this is the common case and it's saying um tell the um tell the so we're, 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 this is the native emitter tell the current architecture to pop um to emit the preamble popping register register um come back to that and depending on the op we emit a call and this will literally in whatever the current architecture is emit this the machine code that will execute the mp binary op function that we were just looking at before and it's going to do it with um um I, so i emit call with immediate arg so it's call to some function i want you to call the binary op function this particular op which was 24 from before and i want to um um I, I forget it'll it'll it assumes I think um, I can't remember which which side is the left hand side but then <laughs> this would be the right hand side um, and if 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 it was an inv if it was the not operator if it was the not version of an operator then we invert it to call mm -hmm. the um, the unary op function but importantly we're generating native code that is just calling back into our runtime that right. knows how to deal with these objects right um, and all of the handling of what type of object is this is still happening in the in the regular path that the um, 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 that the bytecode would have gone by. Mm -hmm. And and similarly in vm.c, um, this is the case for so this is this entry is like a switch statement case. And so it's the current op is a binary op. Um, I pop the two things off the top of the stack and I call mp binary op. So this is we've done an if statement to figure out the current instruction and call binary op. Whereas this case is I've written machine code to explicitly call MP right. binary op. Right. So um, mcauser asks, is native and Viper just a method level, or can you do it on the class level too? I have no idea. That's a really <laughs> good question. <laughs> um, to some degree, classes do function like functions. Um, yeah. In the same um, way that like a top level file works like yeah. a function as well. Maybe we can uh, find out, but at the, at, at the point where you're, the point where you're, um, the point where you're using native on a class, you're generally better perhaps to be. That's not per instance. That's just like when you create it the first time, right? Like the body, uh, the body yeah, of a class is only called once. Yeah, so whether whether or not that would apply to the methods inside, I, I don't know. What you're probably better off doing in that case is putting it in a file on its own and then using the cross-compiler to generate an empire. And one of the arguments to the cross-compiler is native everything, um, regardless of what decorators they have on them. Hmm. And so that's that's what you use if you want to really optimize like an entire Python file hmm. or whatever. Um, and Doctor was commenting on, on the laughing. That's just because my windows are open and there's people outside. Um, Bruce says this is almost as long as low as you can go almost and I totally agree and I also want to point out that like we're not even halfway yet <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to start looking at disassembly soon <laughs> yeah just, just hold your horses I want to point out that for folks like you know me I've been working on CircuitPython for like five years and I've never gotten this deep uh, in my work so yeah. it's it really important to say that like as CircuitPython, this is the huge, huge, huge value that we've 
gotten from building on MicroPython. Like a lot of this comes from Damien and Paul and other MicroPython contributors. Like somebody asked me one time, like, how would you do CircuitPython differently if MicroPython didn't exist? And I just said, like, I wouldn't have ever done CircuitPython without MicroPython. Like this stuff is the stuff that like is way over my head and um, kind of not my forte. So like this is why we should support the MicroPython folks like Jim and Damien um, and why CircuitPython is what it is and feels like Python is because of all of this really detailed work that like I am certainly not suitable f for doing, um, but obviously Jim and, and Damien are. So um, yeah. this is why this is why we should support them. Thank you for saying that. The uh, and and like let's be really clear. This is this is all Damien. Um, I, I jump into this about one week a year, and <laughs> when there's an, an interesting bug that I just because my curiosity gets the better of me. But right. but if you look at the um, um, if you look at the file history, for example, in in native. Um, uh, um, Uh, it's popping up on my other desktop, but um, <laughs> anyway, the um, it's it's just it's only Damien that, that pretty okay. much that that, okay. like, like, um, that works on this, um, and uh, it is really cool. Like, and and so he he often says like it's not clever, like it's not it's just it just is a compiler like it just is a compiler right. as if like that's just a thing that someone just would write but, <laughs> but, but it is it is i i actually really enjoy coming here because you know it it's not that easy to, I, I i i have the benefit of having prepared for this and and and, right. and re reminded myself of how the details work but um there's a lot of things in here that, that like they work the way they have to work like yeah you know, you've got to implement binary op you've got to figure out what the types are and stuff like that right um it just and, it, it takes like so much detailed work, and that's like definitely not my forte. Uh, that's definitely Damien's forte. Is like the really detailed, yeah. like the fact that there's a whole, whole test suite on top of this that can make sure that it that it works as is, or yeah. as intended. Is is just really like a incredibly valuable. Um, like the like any software project, it's it's a combination. Of, like this is like I'm saying similar. The detail stuff is not. I I enjoy the debugging and fixing like figuring out how it works and, right. and making small small fixes and <laughs> and and yeah but sitting there and writing this from scratch is, is you know people are really good at that and, right yeah. yeah my the deepest i've ever gotten is really just into the like allocation stuff but we don't need to go yeah. there uh, <laughs> another time so, um, so for the most part emit native doesn't know about the target architecture. Now you'll see there's a, I'm making a liar of myself here because directly above this is a bunch of special cases for Extensor. <laughs> um, and the reason is that Extensor is really weird. Um, right. But yep. um, did you know that? So one of the weird things about Extensor is the, the register windows. Yes, exactly. Um, um, and did you know Dan was one of the people that came up with that? Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah, like, when I was complaining about it when we first added S2 support, he was like, sorry, that's kind of my fault, and, like, linked me to a paper where he's, like, one of three authors that, like, came up with the <laughs> register window stuff back with, like, risk one. It's just, like, okay. incredible, the the things that Dan's been involved with. It's, it's like, like, so many things that we see, right, that, that it's these really, really clever solutions to problems 
are really awesome if if that's the only problem you have to solve. But when you, <laughs> when you also have to support x86 and and, and arm and and whatever, it's, right? Um, yeah, so you can see extensor win is is one of our um, um, yeah basically 8266 needs to be 32. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, so but for the most part, the emit native only as a high level API to the to the to the individual emitters, and so this is saying emit call with immediate argument, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so we let's try and, and trim this down a bit. So, like, does it happen if I if I um, remove the other the other clauses? Mm -hmm. So I'll run it again. Syntax. You've got uh, the the rogue plus on eight. Oh yeah, oh yeah, cool. Oh, that's the parser that does that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay, so without native, it's 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 as expected, and with native, it's still wrong, which is good. Okay. Um, let's just do a quick sanity check and make sure like the world is not completely broken. Uh, yeah, and, like do um, we have to call bytes? <laughs> <laughs> do we have to do anything? Right, like oh, yeah. um, even well that. Uh, sorry, we need a need a return, okay. and that returns zero. Which is correct. Um, which is correct. Um, so that's good. <laughs> um, so yep, exactly as you said. The next thing is, do we need the um, the bytes? And the answer is no. That first one. And right. does this have? Does it matter what value this is? So if I change this to one or zero, um, that's not important. But what if I get rid of that? I mean, as expected, now we, now we should no, be back where correct. we started. Yeah. Okay, so what's this line doing? What, if, line what if you do it as the first argument, to, first item in the uh, yeah. tuple, not the second? Good question. Um, so I'll make that zero again. Good. So it's correct. Very good, Very good question. Yeah. So um, what if we go back to what doesn't work and we make it a local variable? <laughs> And then do it. All good. So hmm. you think like if you looked at an optimizing compiler, you'd say that those two are the same thing. But this is not an optimizing compiler. This is right. this is going to be emitting. And we and we could look at that if I run VVV again. This function is um um oh, sorry, it's native. So if I turn off the native emitter, um, is storing it into local variable one. So Zero is packed and, and one is A. And mm. and th no, this is not. It stores it and then loads it again. Yeah. yeah stores yeah, it on yeah, 13 exactly. and loads it on 15. Yeah. Um, okay, so that tells us something. Um, so we've got sort of two two candidates here. One is one is something is going wrong when we make it a tuple. So maybe we'll make it a list instead. Bad, okay. Um, and um, yeah, so some, something is something about it being the second argument and going into a into another structure, but only when it's in line in that definition, not in the, in that in that invocation, not right. um, not indirectly through a variable. So this point, we've got a couple of options. Like I'd kind of like to rule out the fact that it's like the, the tuple or the list constructor going wrong, or at least let, let's confirm that by the time it gets to list that it's the right thing to do. Um, we've got a couple of options, um, but for me, like, oh, it's just reach for GDB. Um, 
going home. And I could look this up. I could just the steps to do this, but um, um, uh, um, so I'm going to break on MP couple MP. Um, oh, sorry, got to build with um, the symbols and. Um, break on MP uh, tuple uh, MP option tuple. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to see what it's given. Exactly. Um, um, I might just make that a bit bigger while we do this. So I've broken on option tuple, um, which I guess I should on the screen. So MP object tuple takes the number of elements and the items. Um, and so I, sh I, I receive two items as expected. The items are a list. So let's print items, pointer to where, to where that list is. The first item is a number and the second item is a number. Now, this is a good time to cover a pretty important concept, which is these, these, these might be surprising that I'm calling new tuple Remember the output that I expected was um, one zero, but I'm seeing three and um, um, well, both not zero and not um, not um, zero xff. I've got this other thing. So what's going on here is these arguments are objects, MP object T. And probably, if you walk away from one thing from this talk, an understanding of what an MP object T is, 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 is probably the most useful thing. So, it kind of breaks break my brain initially when I first started learning about MicroPython, <laughs> that, that this is true, but it's, it, 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 it is actually true. Everything in Python can be re represented in a variable, like anything I could stash into a, a local variable or into a dictionary or whatever, is an MP object T. And the and the crazy detail is that MP object T is just an integer. It's it's whatever. Uh, it's a little bit complicated because there's different representations, but all the different representations they are just numbers. Um, and it's depending on the architecture, it's either a 32-bit number or a 64-bit number. And the full explanation of what how this works is in the top of mpconfig.h. And the reason for that is that there are four different choices for how MP object Ts work. And they did make sense for different trade-offs and different architectures. And the default is object A. Um, I think on STM32 MP config port, I think uses the default, which is A. I think it so, were, I think in CircuitPython we're exclusively C, but I could be wrong. Okay. Yep. And and the reason for C is you get in, you get um, um, lights. Um, it's a it's a huge it's a huge performance it's a it's a huge um, optimization for floats but um, right. let's start let's start with a simple one <laughs> so anything that can be stored in a variable internally in MicroPython is represented as a thirty two bit unsigned number and depending on the pattern of bits in that number we figure out what the types are so it's basically type tagging um, so if the last bit is a one then this is a 
um, a small integer. A small integer is a number that's small enough that we don't have to allocate it separately on the heap. And this is really great because it means you don't have to access the heap to do calculations on integers that are, that are small. And so a small int is everything that you can fit when you take away one bit. So 32, 32 bits left over. This is um, why so, our, so 31 bits. This is why precision is 31 bits, not. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is why people w and, were like, when we're talking floats or ints, and Dan and I are like, it's not, it's not 32 bits. It's like 29 bits or 30 bits or whatever. That's exactly. that's because of this. So this just what like the users doesn't care about this, right? So I can I can get two to the 31 um, minus one. I can add 10 to that. Python doesn't care. But behind the scenes, what happened is that it is that that object no longer and it's no longer stored in the mp object it's now an object that's on the heap and we'll come to that right and it, it takes care of this automatically you can build micropython without support for this in which case you are limited to just you know sign integers right so we do we do have some we do have some builds in circuit python that do not that do not have long end support for example so like trinket m0 for for folks who have run into that like this is this is why um, the next representation is, is if the last, so if, if the last bit is a zero and then the next two bits are zero, one, this number represents a Qstra. And so this is the intern strings that we talked about before. And so the value of this, of this, of this thing is appointed to the string table. Um, this is a huge efficiency for optimization for strings, which is that, um, for, because remember strings are two things. It's both literal strings, but also that your program that your code is using, but it's also the name of like. Every, every global variable, every function, every um, every identifier that's not a local variable name, so global variable names and, and function names and stuff. And so whenever I call the function unpack, I have to load unpack from the global stick. And the way I do that is, as we saw before, is I put that that, that Qstra onto the um, right. onto, on, in, into the opcode. Mm -hmm. And then the next is an object, in which case the, the actual other than those last three bits, the, the value is the pointer in memory. So you can think of an object pointer as being um, left-shifted three, um, um, three bits and then, and then um, ORed with that, that sequence. Um, and um, this, is, this is this thing for inheritance. Uh, it's not, let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> I'm, not sure I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I do that. So, so David had a David had a question that says, "Is there anything else than MicroPython that emits MicroPython bytecode?" Like at one point, everyone was making JVM bytecode, even not being Java. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, so so the simple answer is is the cross compiler, but that is technically just MicroPython. Um, so so you can run on your PC. The cross compiler takes a .py file, generates a .mpy file to to run on on MicroPython. Um, the way that works is it, it is just the Unix port of MicroPython or, or the Windows port, um, the special option enabled that can write out the MPy file from the in-memory representation. Um, I've not seen anything else that does this though. Um, um, MicroPython's, well, Python, Python's bytecode and, and MicroPython's bytecode is a bit different to JVM in that it is much more geared towards Python. I could imagine, I could imagine that would be possible that would be that would be quite interesting. Um, and like, it's cool to think. Like, what if you wanted micro, micro PHP, micro Perl, micro Ruby? Could you could you write a Ruby mm -hmm. Perl PHP to Python bytecode 
Twyla. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, yeah, what I have seen is is Blockly the code, but it goes through the intermediate step of generating Python, so that doesn't really count, I guess. So. <laughs> Um, okay, so the, the 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 takeaway here is that everywhere in the runtime and the VM and, right. and the emitters, everything that you can represent in Python is a thirty-two bit integer. Right. And depending on the bit pattern, the way you interpret that thirty-two bit integer changes. Right. And when it's other, when it's not a small int, not a Qstra, it's a pointer to an object on the on the um, on the um, on the stack, on the on the heap, I should say, and it's not even. Um, it, it could be in flash, right? Or in ROM. Yeah, good point. Yes, yeah. Um, it's just a pointer. Yeah. I never get it right which way it's Harvard or or um, von Neumann, but um, the, because because MicroPython um, is assuming the one where they're all the same address space, right. that that works for flash and ROM. Yeah, um, and uh, so. When we're looking at our, our debugger here, the reason that our value of um, what we're expecting to be one is actually a three, is because it has texture. It's been shifted to the left one, and a, right. and a one added on the end, right. and so that's why we get three. And similarly, zero xff shifted to the left one and added and one odd on the end is one fff because that's right. just that's just nine nine ones instead of eight. Yeah, and. Um, so that's, that tells us that um, the f problem is not in the generation of the tuple. We, the tuple is being generated with wrong information. Right. Because um, the number was already incorrect. Yeah. Right, because that should be a zero. Or it should be a one. Uh, it should be a one, right? Uh, this should be a zero. No, it should be one oh, because should, it needs should. the one for, for the small n. Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, <laughs> And and yeah and oh yeah and of course and I've changed this as well so yeah, exactly um, more working more more work required um, <laughs> and 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 obviously the problem here is the uh, actually and what we're worth looking at here is if I do a backtrace in GDB it's a disaster because um, despite the fact I have symbols it's come from code that was done by the native emitter and that doesn't follow the stack frame layout that GDB expects. So it has no idea how to backtrace. Um, but I could go I could go up one um, and might work. No, um, it doesn't just doesn't know. GDB just doesn't know what to do. Um, what I could do is I could actually just dump the memory at this location and force it into the thing. But there's a better way. So. <laughs> um, in mid glue. So has anybody do, anybody doing handwritten bytecode to do something smart or super optimized? I think generally um, I think generally the answer is no because if you wanted optimization you would not do bytecode level, right? Yeah, um, that's I have to think about that. It's a good question. The, the bytecode quite closely matches the Python you write. So like if there were a more optimized bytecode, you could probably just write much more ugly, but um, <laughs> but otherwise the same. Otherwise Python. Um, one long line one, where you have no local variables. Yeah, something like that. 
But um, on the other hand, though, for the native emitter, um, if you want to write more optimized native code, um, I don't I don't know if Circuit uses this, but we have this dynamic native modules, so you can make MPy files from from GCC output code. So you can write a function in C, and have that as if the native emitter generated it and whack it into an MPy file. Um, if you want really highly optimized native code running dynamically on the device, then that, right. that yes. So and, and yes, we use that uh, in a bunch of places. And I think that is, I think we did get that with the merges, and I think that Jeff revived the tests after I deleted them. So I think it does work. <laughs> I think it does work, although I don't use it at all, and I honestly don't recommend it. Um, but if, yeah, if you want to go there, you can go there. It's just you're not going to get help from me or anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's an there's a experimental thing that we're doing as well that, that hasn't gone very far, but we'd like to, to pursue is writing parts of the core in Python. So in the same way that Python call into native code, what we're looking at is having the actual native code of, of MicroPython, like the, like the VM and the runtime, um, call into functions in, that are written themselves in bytecode. This goes back to the thing I said earlier, is that, that the bytecode is more efficient in terms of space. And a lot of functions that are written in the core, just because they need to be accessed by the core, don't really need to be written in C. Mm. And so, um, like, I think the, the thing that pull request that Damien made you know, built in sum, for example, um, so, you know, sum of um, one, two, three. Um, is currently written in, in C, in, in, in the firmware, but there's no reason that couldn't have been written in Python and, and been much hmm. more efficient. So um, Memory we're, efficient, we're, not execution efficient. Uh, exactly, yeah, flash efficient, yeah. Flash and and so what we're looking at is some way to, like, literally write inline Python code in the, huh. in the, in the C code sort of thing. Um, be pretty cool. Um, in the C code? yeah. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> you could do a, do a similar trick to the way that we have Python stubs in our C code. Of just like make it a yeah, comment, yeah. but with a, like some prefix that designates it as, as Python yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Um, but yeah, and there's some pretty good efficiencies to be gained there. Um, so I didn't know this off the top of my head, but I what I did was inst I did know about MicroPython debug verbose. So that's a quite a useful flag if you're trying to figure out the internals of the VM and the, and the runtime and stuff like that. So when you turn this on, it turns on a bunch of things. But the most useful thing is it turns on this write code um, hmm. feature. So emit, this is emit glue.c. It's kind of in between. <laughs> um, <laughs> my son is awake, and he knows where the turn off all the lights in the house button is. <laughs> I was going to say, um, we, sh we should keep going here. I think your family is starting to wake up. <laughs> no, so that wasn't that wasn't like a passive aggressive. Um, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I might get BBC data at some point, but um, we'll see. <laughs> I don't think um, we're that popular. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can turn on micro debug voice, but the, the one I care about is is is, is write code. And um, hello, Taylor's come to do some uh, thumb assembly with us. Awesome. Ooh. Um, um, so you can tell that we've been here before trying to debug generated assembly because um, <laughs> there's this little bit of extra code at the end of, um, and this is why being able to do this on the Unix board is useful as well because you know I, I mean, it's literally using POSIX Fopen which which wouldn't work on, on, on <laughs> hardware. So I'm just going to do the lazy thing and I'm just going to force it to run. 
Right. And <laughs> I do now, that sometimes too. It's like, why would I set the flag when I could just comment it out? Have to figure out those, those, those if statements up there, and it'd be complicated. Um, <laughs> now I can um, run micro. Uh, I'm going to again, and you got an extra if. You just the last three lines you want to uncomment. Last those three. Yeah, uncomment those. Right, because the right code one is just through 166. You're right. Yes, thank you very much. Um, and and so this I could turn on as well, but this is actually what um, this is what we got when I ran earlier. I know, I know, I know. I mean, I could, basically, what this what this would print is print the machine code in bytes. Um, <laughs> I have no interest in looking at. Whereas this will print the same bytes but out to a file, which means I can use tools. Right. Um. And now when I run my program with the failure, uh, I will now have um, uh, ID-TX1 um, outcode. T. Work. You press T. You press T. T for Taylor. <laughs> um, did that actually run? Mitglue compiled. T. Um, R for Taylor. What am I missing? Am I running it from the wrong directory? I for Taylor. <laughs> it looks right to me. I for Taylor. L you for could put Taylor. a print in there mm. to make sure that you're running it. I'm running the right microphone and I'm running that script. Uh, LF, uh, I'll do that. Uh, did I turn on the Yes. <laughs> uh, so David asks, is there a bytecode to Python decompiler? I don't. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, sorry. <laughs> I keep saying that, but they're, they're actually all really good questions. Um, the, um, <laughs> um, uh, I have seen one. Um, uh, there's somebody named uh, Kevin on, I think he's on, on your Discord as well, who's been looking into this. Um, Kevin Walters? Um, it, uh, I'm not sure I've forgotten the name. Um, <laughs> the, um, um, and the, um, cause it would be quite useful. Um, I've not seen if, I've not seen one that's fully featured. Um, really, generally in a situation where you need to know what the disassembly would have been. So, so like the people working on MicroPython, um, the um, you you're also generating the code, so you can just turn on the the right. verbose output. Right, you have the source. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, let's build that. And uh, Oh, sorry. I see what's going on. This whole this, 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 it's my fault for being lazy. This, this whole section is. Um, Oh, it's in the world. It's gated on this. So I'm going to... Um... <laughs> this is a whole other level of programming. Huh? Benny, he's right. He's pressing T and B for Taylor and Benny. Benny's his, his best friend. So. Awesome. Well, he, he's he's learning to type really, really young there. There we go. Ooh, there awesome. you go. Taylor, do you want to get some breakfast? Yeah. 
Hello, that's, that's been nice to see you. Can you say goodbye to everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Taylor. Bye. Sure. And now he can't hear me. Um, he, uh, okay, so now we have our code. Um, uh, somewhere in my history of jumps, because I'm not going to remember that off the top of my head. So now I can use object jump, which is great, because um, I don't have to look at the... Um, so it's printed out the whole thing, which is lots of zeros, but the, um, yeah, that was my native code that was generated. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, someone more skilled than at this than I am could probably look at this and figure out the bug. <laughs> um, but I, I couldn't. But I can... And it's not me either. <laughs> I, I have spent enough time looking at this that, that I can tell you roughly what the structure is. You squinted? Um, <laughs> and because we know kind of what to expect. We... We know what this function does, right? Um, and there's a test instruction, right? So this is this has got to be this has got to be um, the branch, the the if statement. So test followed by GE. I don't see anything else that isn't moves and calls mm -hmm. this function. So so that's got to be the if statement. Um, and we we recognize a few things as well. So for example, the one xff is exactly what we'd expect to see. And we we get the um, the two fifty five case. So this is the um, right. So if we looked in, if we if we sort of thought about what's going on, like we're jumping to seven e seven e is down here. So we're jumping over the code that that sets two fifty five right. in the in the object type representation. Um, and otherwise, we do the um, the and we jump over that to eighty eight, which is there. So eighty eight, I should say. Otherwise, we do one, which is zero. Yeah. So I wish I had done this when I first looked at this, but if I had spent the time to really think and understand what this code is doing, you'd, you'd see that this is this is the assembly code for for generating this this conditional statement. Right. Um, and this is x eighty six sixty four, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we could generate the ARM code for this as well. And and uh, I know x eighty six assembly better than ARM, so I I I would much rather work in x eighty six. But that's um, the opposite for me. <laughs> I've definitely been been exposed to thumb more than arm or the yeah, right. okay. x86. I'd, I'd be a bit lost. Um, okay, and so these calls are the calls back into the runtime. So what's happening here is um, you're loading into the AX register, the 64 bit um, A register, an offset of um, 0x80 from RBP, and then calling and then calling whatever we get as a result of that. And so mm -hmm. showing in the code why this is the case is going to be tricky, but what's happening here is RBP in, in when you're running in native code points to the, um, to the function table. So basically the problem here is that there's no linker. Um, we can't just say like call MP binary op. We have to, we have to like do all that ourselves. Right. So on entry to native code, we set RBP to be um, the, the function table. And then 0x80 is the offset of a function in the, function table. Mm -hmm. And so I can actually look up in the function table what 0x90, 0x80, 0x168 are. And right. um, I, uh, so one thing I, I thought would be interesting for folks, we were talking about code size. And if you look in this column, the left hand side is the address. 
And then the, the the next column that like varies in width is actually the bytes that are the instruction. Um, so if you were looking at thumb, you would only basically have a single column there um, because thumb is essentially, or you would have two numbers because each number is a byte and all thumb instructions are two bytes. All thumb two instructions are two bytes. Whereas you, this is varying because x86-64 is a variable length instruction encoding. Uh, and then the thing on, the, then the, the next column is like the human readable version of that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, good point. So this is the offset, like you said, offset um, what the bytes would be. Right. And then the, 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 the disassembled version. Um, right. So see something I do a lot when I'm working on MicroPython is I should rely better on my editor to do QAU um, Sublime, but it doesn't always figure out the um, cross-references and stuff because there's a lot of preprocessor stuff going on. I mean, for you, example, you use it way more than I do, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, I uh, So, for example, if I wanted to find this MBF build tuple, it's not because it's a bit confused, but, but this, is the, this is the function table. So these are the offsets. Right. And so what we'd expect to find is that 0x80, which would be um, 120, uh, 0x80. Um, this is where I just have a Python terminal open. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think there's, 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 another, there's an implicit offset as well. But, but what we'll find is that, is that um, one of these, I'm pretty sure it will be um, uh, 90, uh, so 90 is um, binary op. And then um, those Oops. 0x10, so um, 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 16 bytes earlier in that table, so two, two, eight byte words, is obvious true. Um, because I've been here before, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, we expect our code to have emitted a binary op convert it to being truth or not, and then do this comparison. So what our emitter is doing is saying, load a bunch of stuff, all MP binary op, do a bit more setting up, all MP obj is true, turn that into a zero or one. Cause like this could, we don't, we didn't know that the binary op returns a zero or one, right? Or true or false. It could have, this could have just been an expression that returned an object. I mean, now we need to know whether or not it's, it's, Truthy, mm -hmm. and so MP object is true. We'll, we'll we'll turn that into a, a zero or one, and so then RAX is both the argument is is the function we're calling. The convention is that we also return in RAX. So what happens here is that when we call MP binary op, um, we've loaded the arguments, we call it, and we stash um, um, the result of that function into RDI, which will be the RDI will be what we use as the first argument for the next function. And we then load the next, when we call MP object true, call it, and the result of whether it's true or not will now be in EAX. And then what we're expecting to do is then see if EAX is zero. So this is a common convention x86 because it's the minimum possible representation, is that we just look mm -hmm. at the low byte. And because so, we, we knew that all the other bytes were zero, look at the low byte only and see if it's zero and jump if zero. So what's going on here? <laughs> Randomly in the middle of this, between calling objects true and checking the result, we write one to EAX. Um, hmm. and, then, and then do some adjustment um, 
and then write and then write we write one to EAX and then we write EA, um, the 64-bit EAX, extended EAX, into um, an offset on the stack. Um, and I wish I could tell you that this is how I figured out the first time. I did a lot more printfs and a lot more GDBing. <laughs> um, but right. um, and 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 that was because I didn't, I wasn't comfortable enough looking at this disassembly and, and, and figuring out exactly what was happening. But um, but what I eventually found is I, I turned on print statements. So for everything that the native emitter did, so that would be one thing that native emitter did. That would be another. That would be a call to objects true. Right. That would be a call to MP binary op. Um, and and if we look at if we look at emit native, um, emit native binary op. Um, emit native binary op. In that case that we looked at before, actually says. Emit prepop reg reg, emit call. If it was an invert, emit another call, and emit post push reg. So when we go and look at emit binary op, here, this is the setup of the arguments, the push pop, etc. Mm -hmm. This is the emit call. And so this this whole section here is um, sorry, this whole section there is what you get as a result of the compiler telling the native emitter to emit binary op. Um, I mentioned Viper just for completeness. The other case here is when the types are all integers and Viper knows that their types are integers. And so instead of emitting a call to binary op, it literally emits um, a left shift or emits right. a, um, 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 another left shift. There's, there'll, be, there'll be all the different ands and ors and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's why Viper is so fast because instead of emitting all of that to call a function, which is a whole lot more work. It literally just will emit. It just does it. Add or, or whatever. And then knows, right. knows that it's unsigned or signed. Okay. So, so I do want to, where does this come from? Um, folks are, are commenting in the chat about how deep of a deep dive this is. And let me reassure <laughs> folks that like, this is probably the deepest that I've ever, uh, it's certainly the deepest I've ever gone on CircuitPython, but uh, I've been, in industry since I graduated in 2009, like I've never gone this deep for even stuff I did at Google beforehand. So like it's hang out. This is the deep dive. Enjoy it. Uh, don't think that you need to follow it. Just, just like all the other stuff I do. Like, um, yeah, you can figure it out given enough time. Uh, just like, 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 I, like I said, I'm, I'm condensing, you know, a day of work, <laughs> um, right. and 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 I have done this before as well. So like you know, um, but and and the cool thing is about Microsoft, literally you know approximately zero people need to understand how how <laughs> this works. Um, approximately um, two people, if, Jim and Damien. If you are watching this live stream and you're like, this is exciting and interesting, come and talk to us about the uh, the Risk Five emitter, um, <laughs> and or or figuring out a way to, to optimize this, right? Like. Mm -hmm. You, you know, if you if you're familiar with stuff, you're probably screaming at this disassembly here and being like, "What the? You know, this is this is terrible." Um, and and yeah, and so optimizing this would be really cool and have some huge performance benefits for MicroPython. Right. Um, um, I might skip through what's happening here because getting to the bottom of this is a bit complicated. But um, I mean, uh, we know that's the trick, right? Yeah, what we know. So we now we now know what's at fault. We've we've mistakenly, um, and so in, in assembly program we, we'd call this clobbering. And so mm -hmm. we're using the EAX register for 
a particular purpose and between using it for something and using it for something else we've, we've, we've used it for, for another thing right you're overrating and, it um and so what we know is that we're in the middle of a um the ternary operator mm-hmm. um and um um which i'm going to cheat ever so slightly because i know um know that we're in native, I mean, native jump helper so the way i would have figured this out is either with the debugger or with print statements to find out that the that immediately after the um, the binary op and before the the compare sorry immediately after the is true and before the jump um, right so so what you've done is you have this something if something else value right like value exactly. if condition else other value and so what we've done is the first thing to do is figure out like what the condition is, right? So what you're saying is like, okay, we're, we've completed getting the thing inside the like the condition part of that thing, and and now we've kind of like gone one level higher, and now we're gonna figure out based on that how to how to produce a value. That's exactly right. Yeah, and so with with a bit of work and 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 so debugging in printfs, I will find that that the thing that is that the thing that is emitting that is true. Um, happened. Uh, I mean, we it's okay. We know it's got to emit and miss true. So what what we could do is, um, 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 um we made Jim get uh, up early this we're, morning. <laughs> we're um, we're uh, we're in the weeds. So let's let's not do that. But but what I would do is I put a debugger on the code that emits the is true and then I would see what the very next thing it does and the mm-hmm. very next thing it did was call emit native jump helper which is to be expected because we're emitting a, a jumper because <laughs> yeah. um, it's all if statements are jumps so once again we can ignore the cases where the types aren't pyog because we're not using viper so therefore all types have to be pyog okay and so we emit um, pop of the register means that we need to take the current value off the stack this is the value that we're going to be making the decision on um, this is a fancy way to say um, whether or not I, I want to push it back on the stack so this is like moves the stack back again which is that we don't have a peak register um, right doesn't matter we need to we need we get the top value off the stack and then you might and then we call you might adjust the stack back so it's again back on the stack exactly yeah, yeah. and then we call object true which is what we expected Right, so so this is taking whatever object was returned and deciding whether it's true or not. So at this point, we are here. We've called MP binary op. Now figuring out if it's true or not. Um, and so what and is then, the next thing we do? Almost like this is kind of amazing when this happens, but like the code actually tells us exactly what's going wrong here because it's the bit where we do the jump. Right. We do this thing, and right in between it, we do something else. Right. So we've 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 um, we've set up the register with the result of MP object is true. We're going to make a decision on that. We did other work in the meantime. Right. So here's where I have to explain three different stacks. Um, <laughs> so the processor has a stack, sort of natively. There's a bunch of instructions to work, like push and pop and stuff like that. And that's the same stack as the C stack. So when you when you call a function in C, that's the same stack that that operates on. Mm-hmm. In MicroPython, the function itself has a stack, which is not on the C stack, although that is a compile option that you can enable. And so what's 
what I have, what I haven't gone into so, detail on, but this. So where is where does that live? Yeah, um, the C stack. <laughs> okay. um, but what happens is that um, the meter actually goes through multiple passes, and on an earlier pass, it's figured out how many local variables there are. Oh, sorry. And the, and that crazy detail I said earlier is that all objects are just these MP objects, which are all just thirty-two bit numbers. We just figure out how many local variables there could possibly be in every possible branch of the code. That's how big the stack needs to be. And we make room for that on the C stack. But it is not managed with the, by the C stack, right? It's not using the stack pointer register and stuff like that. We have our own stack pointer. Hmm. And if that is too big to put on the stack, we put it on the heap instead. So there's a little, there's a little code path that does that. Um, then the emitter itself has a stack that is managing its use of um that stack that's that that's that's um that's operating and so now this is where there are a few cool optimizations which is that if we can avoid emitting code for manipulation of variables we don't so a good example of this is like um if i add an immediate to the stack i could just ignore putting that on the stack if i immediately then pop it off afterwards and stuff like that Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, the, the, the details here are, are really complicated and, 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 and messy, but the point of this function here is, and this comment explains it pretty well, is that we have these three different stacks and we're about to do a jump and we need to synchronize them to make sure that they're all consistent. Because if mm-hmm. we jump, things will be messy. Right. Um, and so need stack settled basically says, do I have stuff in the emitter stack that is not currently code gened in the um in the python stack um and hmm. um and it turns out we do and this is where this particular case is really interesting that what this expression does is it's making a tuple out of these two values so if we simplify it to return zero zero it pushes two immediates under the stack and right. calls mp option new tuple the pointer to the stack but but offset by two. And so it pops two values off the stack and then makes a tuple out of them. Right. And so, so we've done here. The third stack, so it's the processor C stack, it's the MicroPython stack, and then it's the emitter stack? Yeah, but the emitter stack only exists while we're doing the emitting. It's not a, it's not a runtime stack, but it is also managed as a stack. And uh-huh. it's, it can be... Um, it can be modified by the emitter and the emitter can then realize that it didn't actually need to do operations to modify the, 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 the Python stack, the runtime stack. Right. It's a, it's a really neat, it's a really neat optimization <laughs> that, that does save a lot of generated code. Mm-hmm. And so what's happened here is that when we do this, we, we will get to the end of putting these things on the stack without actually generating any code. And then we'll realize that we're going to emit a new a call to new tuple, and we're like, oh, okay, we've got to actually get them onto the stack so that emit new tuple can access them. Um, and what's happening here is that we emit an immediate that temporarily doesn't do anything. We then do this if statement, but now it's like, oh, we've got to settle the stack. Right. Make sure that this value really does get onto the stack because this is a really simple example, but these two branches put themselves have sub-branches and stuff like that and do all, all other things with the stack. And so depending on which branch we take, we need to do different things. Right. And so need stack settled, literally just says, go through the emitter stack. If we have any registers, 
Oh, and the other optimization that's really cool is that we can avoid using the C stack, sorry, the Python stack, and not entirely put things in registers instead. Um, so for some local variables, they will in fact never touch the stack. They will entirely be kept in registers. Right. Um, so the emitter can realize that this value never even needs to, to become on the stack at all. And so that's the other that's the other half to this. And the benefit for like to tie it back to what we talked about earlier is that the closer you have your memory to the CPU, the faster it can run. So like exactly. registers yeah. are the fastest memory you can use because those are like in the CPU themselves. Uh, whereas the yeah. stack is going to live, it's the stack is going to live in RAM, but uh, for complicated CPUs, there may be like layers of caching between the actual RAM and the and the CPU as well. Yeah, and orders of magnitude difference. Um, right. There's a really awesome. Um, it's probably about a thumb. Um, the rules of thumb pro numbers numbers programmer should know everything, and it gives you like the the orders of magnitude of what right. these things are. And not only is it faster, but it's it's fewer instructions to access, right? Because if I want to access the value in a register, it's just a mov or an add or whatever. But right. accessing the stack involves moving things around. Right. And so it's worth zooming in on Sublime to, to to look on what's happening here. Is that what we do? if we have stuff in registers we now need to put into the into the python stack we just emit mods so it goes from the mm -hmm. register and mod from the register onto the stack and so that's not going to clobber anything because i can you can do that just register the stack if i have an immediate in the emitter stack right so that's that that's so this that is zero. a number you were holding on to that you didn't know exactly when you needed it so we're going to wait to wait to do something with it until we know what's gonna when we're going to need it Exactly. And what I'm going to do is load it into a register because it's at the moment it's just ephemeral, right? It's, it's in the emitter stack. I'm going to load it into a register on the CPU and then I'm going to copy that register into the, um, the Python stack. Right. And do you want to take, I'll give, you, I'll give you one guess. What do you think reg temp zero is? It's the return register. CAX, yep. <laughs> um, exactly. So, and we can check that. So, for the X64 RAX. Um, and so, as you can imagine, like, keeping all this state in your head and figuring out all possible paths and how these functions all interact is so hard, right? So, like, that's why this is a subtle bug that's probably existed for, for I mean, um, many many years, right? And right. Um, and when you look into this in detail, and I'll, I'll save the analysis because that's actually quite there's quite a lot of paths you have to follow. This is the only path that calls needs that settled with 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 an outstanding state. So fortunately, right. So that that's kind of what is what is the name for that? Like your invariant, like. You're, yeah, you should good. only call need stack settled if no, none of the registers are available. <laughs> exactly. And so um, I, I had a chat to Damien about this this issue, and the, one of the outcomes, the conclusion was, <laughs> note. <laughs> um, yeah. And and in, when you do like lots of like proper assembly, like there's lots of cool ways that you can you can add metadata to say this thing clobbers this thing, and mm -hmm. and, and in general, MicroPython, this whole prepot. There's a, there's a, you probably would have seen a bunch of things about emit pre and emit post is all about. Actually, and in here, call a save versus call a save is about the guarantees that the, these are the invariants that we provide. Like these variables are all 
you can't rely on them being saved at any point, whereas these ones you should. And, and right. we are breaking that. We are breaking right. that invariant. Right, and that's known as calling convention. So, right. So yeah, yeah, When you yeah, look at like, if you look at like risk five, like they have an ISA, but then on top of that, they have like calling conventions or something on top of that. That's like, if you compiled C code, here's like how we're gonna like use these registers in a standard way uh, yeah. for exactly this in, reason. It's tied into the ABI for the architecture. For the, for the, for the, for the yeah, platform. Yeah. That's the uh, binary, binary. binary interface. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is which which specifies your calling convention. Yeah. Right. And so a couple of options here. Um well you should write a test, but um but <laughs> um so here's an, here's another case where this is used. But in this case it doesn't matter because there's no there's no um, like temporary state um, mm -hmm. that we need to worry about that, 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 that then is used later. There is temporary state, but it's not used. The result doesn't matter here. Right. Um, but in this case, we do. So we've got a couple of options. One is that we could settle the stack earlier. Um, we could spend a bunch of time analyzing all these paths and figure out like, and I, I think I convinced myself that you could call needs stat settled here because we know that objects true probably won't um, mess things up. But much simpler alternative is that we know we're going to club our RAX, but we're not going to club our RDI and RSI, and they give us the same guarantees. So um, the solution is, like all good bugs, it is a two-character fix. You just change which register it goes into. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so now, if I save that, okay. So let's, let's run it. I get zero zero. Yeah. As expected. And if I look at the, um, after I run it, if I look at the disassembled output, those two instructions will still be there, but they'll be using a different register then. Exactly. So it's the, those two are still there, but now I'm moving into EDI instead of RDI. Okay. Um, and then I guess I should check. It's probably your debug. I always I always leave my debug prints in. Taylor's little T for Taylor. T for Taylor. That way. And we'll come back to that. So to tie things up, obviously, what I should now do is write a test. And the way this works, for people who haven't seen it, is um, um, I would, I would write. So the way our tests work is we have these Python files and we expect them to run the same on Python and on MicroPython and CPython on different platforms. Right. And if we can't run the code on CPython, then we provide what the expected output is. But I would write, I would write a file here called like native, um, um, <laughs> native, Settle stack or something like that, and right. come up with a few test cases and and add it with this PR. Cool. So that's flashed to the Pi board, um, and I should be able to run 
uh, Hero Zero on my my PyBot as well. Um, nice. So, so the same the same fix fixed it for Thumb. Right. Um, right. Which is a relief. Um, and if I check that regtemp one on Asm Thumb uh-huh. is using it is a, it is a different register. Um, all platforms provide three temp registers and it is a different register so to, to be expected there as well right different from the return yeah. register um confusing yeah uh, yeah yeah temp zero is often the same as the return register but temp one and temp two will be different so right. that's, a, that's a good way right that's a good way to think of it awesome <laughs> um, um so what should we do to wrap up? First, I, I think um, if folks want to follow along with this, uh, what is the issue number? Oh, uh, yeah. Under uh, MicroPython. It's, uh, E7523.py. So um, oh. I, think I, even, I think I even have it open. Um, 7523. Did I say 7523? I think so, yeah. yeah. Cool. So um, Twisted... Twisteroid Ambassador, we're very <laughs> grateful to for um, for raising this in the first place, and um, and, a, and a really really awesome um, case. Like, really really grateful that, that wasn't you know a hundred lines of code that we had to. A hundred percent. And then um, and then oh yeah, I should have done this in the, in the live stream, but but this is to show a bit more detail about what's going on with the with the stack. I put a few more variables, and then you can really see that they are um, um, the small int values. Sorry, this is probably hard to Ah, I see uh, what you're saying. There's more stuff that gets settled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you'd see, you'd actually see a lot of settling happening, <laughs> clobbering AX as it goes. Um, but it's otherwise the same. And then at this, the point that I wrote this, I didn't know what the um, what the solution was. Right. Um, I spoke to Damien for some, um, um, to confirm that that was in fact the right thing to do. And um, yeah, so after this, I'll, I just haven't got around to making a PR for it yet, but I will. <laughs> it is I'll Saturday just... for you, so you shouldn't work. Oh, yeah, I'm not doing it today. <laughs> 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 but I will. Um, um, I will. Uh, Matt points out that this is an example of why it makes no sense to pay devs by the lines of code they write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the time is in figuring not, it out. Not it's not it. the most exciting single... Well, there's a two-character change, but um, I do have a story from from a long time ago where a, not me but a co-worker added an ampersand um to a, to a file and it so it was c plus plus so it changed something from being a pass by value to pass by reference and it was like it was a piece of a very very hot code path and it was it was just a typo somebody missed the, the pass by reference and it was you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year worth worth of um <laughs> time saved as a result so there's lots of these they've been wow. pretty good yeah i think i remember there was a, a time when i was at google and there was a a loss of gmail accounts that they eventually restored but it was all caused by a missing asterisk i think um i remember that one yep. <laughs> yeah um Great. Well, uh, Jim, thank you for taking us to the deep depths uh, of MicroPython. Uh, and as I've said earlier in the stream, like really like this is why f- 
we build off MicroPython, why we try to support MicroPython as much as we can, and why I think uh, everybody watching should should be doing that as well. Um, you know, the uh, go ahead. So the I guess one one way to do that is by sponsoring them on GitHub. Um, is a good way to do it. You can also buy hardware. Um, I think there's it's probably still in stock. Um, this is also the type of work that I've always offered to <laughs> to pay uh, Damien to do uh, for, on, in for C CircuitPython. Um, I don't think Jim. Do you have a company? Um, I I work for Damien. So. Right. So Damien has George Robotics uh, is Damien's company, and that's who who pays Jim. Um, but the, and I assume that the MicroPython sponsorship money goes through there as well. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, uh, the sort of benefits you get from paying devs to work on stuff. Um, um and we, we are extraordinarily grateful for, for all of, um, Adafruit and CircuitPython support for your, your, the GitHub sponsorship as well, um, from, from Adafruit is, this is fantastic and, um, yeah, it's really cool. And. And like I said before, I'm, I'm really excited to, to be working more closely together. And, and just this week, we had a great example of that where um, feature was implemented in CircuitPython that we're now adding stream. So, yeah, the split um, split types. Yeah, and that's really cool, right? It saves um, couple kilobytes on, on our really constrained ports. And mm -hmm. um, no, it's, it's really good. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we had that meeting between the five of us, like you, Damien, and Jeff, and Dan, and I, and it it, it felt a lot like a software team, like, who never meets, right? Because, like, <laughs> we all work in the same place, we, we work on the same code, and we think about a lot of the same similar things. Um, so it's cool to have those communication lines open, um, even if we're not in the identical same code base all the time. Um, but... Uh, yeah. So this has been uh, great fun, Jim. Um, thank you for taking me into more of the emitter stuff. I think um, if people want to try this on CircuitPython, the, the code should be there. It's just like not necessarily enabled or uh, tested on our part, but we don't actively like turn it off. Um, I don't think so. Um, so if people do want to get into these weeds, but but still be in CircuitPython, you're, you're able to do, to do that. Um, this is all within that that core like Pi directory that we share with MicroPython, um, and that we've talked about sharing kind of like more structuredly in the future. Um, but yeah, so this is. Uh, and, uh, go ahead. Thank you very much to all the really good questions. Um, yeah, but, uh, lots of really good details that we got out of those questions. So thank you very much. Hundred percent. Yeah. So thank you to everybody who who hung in uh, to the technical difficulties at the start, including Jim, especially because all of the, all of the Australian folks got up early. Uh, it started at seven a.m. in Australia. So thank you to Jim for being the guest, and thank you to all the folks in the chat who are in Australia or other time zones as well who who carve it out of their day to come hang out with us. Uh, this has been a deep dive with Scott uh, on Adafruit. Here um, it happens normally. Uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time uh, it, on Fridays. Um, if you want to support me, and you can do that by going to adafruit.com and buying some hardware there. Uh, no, no hardware launches during the stream today, uh, but it wouldn't be out of the question. That does happen from time to time. 
Uh, you can also purchase uh, pie boards from Adafruit if you want to. If you're in the U.S. and like that's convenient, um, we do. Uh, obviously, that supports the MicroPython folks as well. Um, if you want to hang out, uh, Jim's on the the Adafruit Discord as well. Um, you just have to ping him. Um, although, <laughs> don't DM. Never DM people. Um, but you can you can ping people in public places. Uh, you can go- join the Discord by going to the URL adafru.it slash Discord. Um, I'm on there as well. Uh, you can feel free to ping me. Uh, don't DM me, but you can ping me if you have questions. Um, the reason to do it in public places is that other people may be able to answer your questions as well. Um, so with that, I think that's it. Um, Jim, thanks again, and you're always welcome on the deep dive. Yeah, um, yeah it was really fun. Thank you, Scott. It's been a blast, and I learned a lot myself. Um, I, I haven't looked at x86 assembly before, so that was new for me. Um, and uh, yeah, when do we get CircuitPython on the Pi board? So you can load CircuitPython on the Pi board yeah. already. Yep. Um, once we started supporting the STM stuff, we added support for it. Um, so yeah, uh, with that, uh, I don't know, even know if CatCam's running. So we'll just say uh, thanks again to Jim, and we'll uh, see you all next week. Um, check nice. out MicroPython if you haven't. Thanks, Scott. Right. Thanks, Jim.